can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. <laughs> Ladies, hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, the star, and the namesake. Victor Davis Hanson is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He has a home on the internet. It's called The Blade of Perseus, and its web address is victorhanson.com. And I'll talk to you more about that later. Let's talk about Joe Biden and his terrible reelect numbers, and then also his excuse mongering for the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. And we'll get Victor's thoughts on that and plenty more right after these important messages. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, I'm sure you saw these stories. And let's let me just throw these two up and you uh, expand, expand, expound, expand, however you feel. Uh, wish to. So Biden's reelect numbers, less than one third of voters think that Joe Biden deserves reelection. That's according to a CNN poll. 
his uh, some separately is uh, I think I saw the other day on Real Clear Politics, his approval rating is is still pretty crappy, around forty two percent. The other story, pretty simple: Biden administration blames Trump in part for chaotic Afghanistan withdrawal. Victor, I thought it was a wonderful success, wasn't that? The uh, the the spin until recently, but blaming Donald Trump for what happened in Afghanistan is kind of uh, what they're trying. Yeah, I listened to John Kirby. He's really transmogrified from a nondescript bureaucratic former rear admiral into just a political hack. I mean, gosh, when I listened to him explain, he was bragging on how well the withdrawal went. It would be as almost. Churchill, rather than resigning after the Gallipoli disaster, which I think, you know, it was strategically perhaps misdirected, but it would have worked had the had the British forces not just, you know, stayed on the beach and didn't have didn't show any aggression. But my point is that he accepted that as a as a disaster. He didn't say, well, they withdrew from the beach. They got back on the ships. It was a wonderful withdrawal. Or even, you know, when you look at Dunkirk. That was a wonderful withdrawal, but it was still a complete military defeat. The entire British army of 300,000 plus had been driven out of France in a way that never happened in World War I. And Churchill reminded everybody this was a, a, a very able way to preserve things, but it's a terrible defeat. It's It's not a victory. And yet here we are when we look at those aerial pictures of Humvees and artillery platforms and all these equipment just lined up and we just handed it over. We handed over a $300 million out re-outfitted Bagram Air Base, the biggest in Central Asia. We handed over a billion dollar embassy. We just left and just we got, we left Americans that are now under house arrest or worse. We left thousands of People that we worked with there have been, been either been killed or they're in hiding. And for him to stand up there and say that this was not a defeat or not a humiliation or it's Trump's fault. And uh, Trump had a plan. It was to keep the Bagram Air Base and about 2,500 people there and to provide air support for the cities. So, I, you know, it remind me, I don't know if you remember, Jack, but it, I just thought, it reminded me, it was sometime around 2011, and people were getting sick of Barack Obama. Instead of just letting the economy work, he went in and he overregulated and he kept spending and borrowing, and we didn't get out of the 2008. And I think GDP was under 1%, unemployment, I don't know what it was, it was 8 to 9%, and they kept asking him. And I remember so well Charles Krautheimer, the late Charles Krautheimer. He was just obsessed and angry at Obama because he kept blaming George W. Bush, or he said he had bad luck, or he said there were natural phenomena. Remember earthquake somewhere, and this was all. And he did that for the next eight, next five years. It's the same thing. Why does he just say it was a mistake and it's not going to happen again? But they always blame somebody. Blame, 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 blame. That's, that's part of the psychological baggage of the left. I don't understand it at all. I mean, every politician tries to blame their predecessors, but 
this is getting ridiculous. I mean, it's kind of gaslighting, you know, it's it, it's just absurd. That- well, even even Kirby and they have to connect the dots between that withdrawal and the uh, chaos uh, around the world, the new um, axis forming against America, the war in Ukraine. They, they have, don't they? Don't they? I mean, they're not going to admit it, but you, they've got to connect those dots. So I guess blaming Trump is a some sort of psychological bomb on on that reality. They just I don't blame, you know, I mean, Clinton did a little bit, but, and every president sort of says, I inherited a mass, that's part of politics. But I don't remember George W. Bush in 2004 or five, when the war started to go by, blaming um, Bill Clinton. I don't, I don't remember it. No, he did not, the, the the trade center, trade towers weren't hit because of Bill Clinton. That that never yeah. Yeah. actually then, a call for unity. <laughs> and and same thing with Trump. He blamed Obama, of course. I mean, uh, of course, in the beginning for the border and things. But by 2018, 19, he was on. He was talking about his own accomplishments. And this this Biden has never ceased this. It's always Trump's fault. It's all everything that's bad. And yet he's gotten his way. I can't think of they, they gave him his legislation. He, they gave him everything he wanted. They warned him that if build back better and all this stuff, the inflation reduction, it was all bogus. It would be bad. Larry Summers warned him, don't do it. Don't borrow $5 trillion more. Don't subsidize people not to work. Don't open the border. Don't bring in 7 million people that are going to need vast amounts of social service support. Don't do it. And he did. And then he said, you did it, not me. It's just childish. Victor, about those reelect numbers, we're a year, a year or so from now, the last major primaries will have been held. Uh, I think Joe Biden is going to be the candidate again. Do you? Uh, I think that's... That's the process of elimination because they're looking at the 2016 field. And that was the last time they've had an open field and they're just checking the boxes. They said, oh, Mayor Pete, nah, he's imploded. Everything he touches to turns to dross, supply chain, rail cars, airline mess, Southwest. He didn't know what he's doing. He's a joke. And I think, Bernie, nah, Bernie, even when he was in his, you know, Mid-70s was over the hill, and now he's 80. He's got to say, you don't replace an octogenarian with another octogenarian. How about Elizabeth Warren? No, she's never. She She's too angry, and she's... How about Cory Booker? No, Spartacus never really caught on. And they've gone, Amy Kobachar, she was a... No, she's kind of a weirdo. So They don't have anybody, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Gavin Newsom. Gavin yes. Newsom. Yeah, Gavin he's, Newsom. he's going to Florida, but... No, Gavin, anybody who's followed that guy's career, he's just an epitome. He's a classic case of a, you know, here's the left has one point when there is a hereditary, aristocratic, white privilege, nincompoop, mediocrity. (laughs) And he is. He is a parasite on the Getty family. And I shouldn't say that because they get quid pro quos through his political career, but he has all these little businesses, and when they get in trouble, he calls Biden and says, save the Silicon Valley Bank. I've got three 
three or four businesses and some personal account. That's who he is. He doesn't, he was, you know, he said, we're not going to go to Montana, any places that don't represent transgender, but I got to go to Montana. Right. I'll just sneak out. I'll take my private guard, even though you're not supposed to pay uh, state employees that go to these taboo states. Everybody's going to wear a mask. Well, I won't wear one at French Laundry with all my wealthy lobbyists that I'm conducting business with so that they can get contracts for my vast welfare Medi-Cal state. There's, they're burning. It's burning. Well, it's climate change. I, I, I kind of got rid of the logging industry. We don't believe in preventive. And now, you know, it's flooding. And he, he's just inept. So there's it nobody, did. Jack. There's nobody. It's Kamala Harris or Joe Biden. And that's a tough one. Yeah. Would you rather have a non-compost mint? Mentes, a person who doesn't know where he is or someone who does know where she is, but she's very dangerous. Oh, my gosh. And that's what they do. And so that explains, like all the listeners know it, that explains uh, the interference in the Republican primary. I think it does. They have nobody to run. And so they look at the Republican primary and they say, essentially, it's going to be DeSantis versus Trump, our polls show us, they think, even, you know, until the recent trial, that DeSantis might be a more effective candidate than Trump. But because we hate Trump and because we do want him to win because he hasn't won the popular vote in 2016 and 2020, and we can defeat him, we're going to, A, give him empathy by tying him up with indictments that are very unfair, and then we will have him a nominee that will be hemorrhaged to death because all during the campaign season of 2024, he will be appearing in court and he may have gag orders, etc. And he will not be a viable candidate. And that's their strategy. And then they're going to carry Joe Biden in a litter again across the finish line. I know there's not going to be a COVID lockdown, apparently, but they'll find some reason to keep him in the basement. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they'll put the soft serve ice cream dispenser down there. Hey, Victor, um, there's been a lot of chaos abroad, not only in Ukraine, but in Iran um, and in France. Uh, France seems to be on the brink, just like we seem to be on the brink. And let's get your thoughts on that right after these important messages. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. Before we get your thoughts on what's going on in France, Victor, I'd like to remind our listeners to visit victorhanson.com. That's the Blade of Perseus. And when you go there, you will find links to Victor's various appearances, these uh, podcasts, the, the archives of them, links to Victor's books, links to the articles he writes for American Greatness, his syndicated columns, and also the pieces he writes exclusively uh, for his website. And they are ultra articles. You can only read them if you subscribe, if you're a fan of Victor's, if you love what he has, has to say, not only orally, but through the keyboard, you've got to subscribe. There's a tremendous amount of content uh, that's produced on a weekly basis by Victor. So that's five bucks to stick your foot in the water, stick your toe in the water, uh, 50 bucks for the year. Do subscribe, victorhanson.com. So, um, Victor, France seems to be in chaos, although it seems to have been in chaos before in the last few years. There's a push to increase the retirement age, and it has just blown up politically. Um, I think France suffers from any number of other non-unimportant issues um, roiling beneath the surface. But is it is some? Is it on the brink? I have a feeling all Western civilization is on the brink. Why shouldn't France be on the brink too? Anyway, Victor, your thoughts about well, what's France going is on. always on. France is always, you know, from Les Miserables on, it's always at the barricades, so to speak. But this is a, a little strange because Macron, who's sort of a Davos geopolitical globalist dandy, He's kind of finessed everything by his Gallic style or supposedly reminds me a lot of that Villa Pion. Remember him, the aristocratic foreign minister they had for a while that hated yeah. George W. Bush. Same type of person that gravitates to power in France. But I mean, their, their, their version of social security, their pension system is broke. And all he's doing is saying, you know, he wants to bring back, is it 65 he wants to go back down to? I mean, he wants to raise it to 65. I thought it was 64. 64, but, yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, I'm 69, and I don't think I can retire. And I know most people can't. And so, I mean, what what, what does he want to do? What, what do the people protesting want to do? They want to, how do they want to save the system so it doesn't go broke? Because French are not having 2.1 children for family like most of Europe and the United States. It's just not there. Right. So there's not going to be the basis to do it. Is it sort of just have a drink on the Titanic and get your big pension and then when it goes broke, you figure you got enough that you can hoard it when it goes broke or when it goes broke, you'll just get you'll get a cut anyway. So why not? Why cut early? Is that it? Or you can get some French millionaires. There's not very many of them. <laughs> to pay the tab. I don't know what the logic is, but if there's sound at the actuarial tables and the physical tables show it's impossible, it's not that much to, you know, work in your mid-60s. It doesn't seem to be a big problem for most people in the world because of longevity and stuff. I had long COVID. I had it May 1st. I worked every single day. I made, I supported my, I, fulfilled my responsibilities. And I think a lot of people do that in the United States. And so it's kind of 
when we're, we're facing it, we're going to face the same thing. And when this happens in America, will people then say, I'm not going to work till I'm 65 or 66? Can't do it. But you're not going to have a, a choice because your children, right. like everybody's children, are not getting married at 21 and they're not having three children anymore. Right. And those kids are not being productive. And the people who are young, the other thing they don't talk about is there's radical changes in our system and the French system when they expanded these retirement systems to disability and and not that was okay, but they, they expanded the notion of disability to dyslexia and all sorts of non-life-threatening conditions. And we've got a lot of people on the Social Security and fr the French do and the Europeans do that are not elderly, but they're piggybacked onto the systems. Right. And there's not enough payers. Kind of an analogous to the whole victim victimizer, the J Jesse Smollett, you know, phenomenon where we want to have so many victims, but there's just not, we're not producing enough victimizers anymore. Right. You we know, in, in, them. in this country, Victor, in a practical sense, if I may, I, I was on a housing authority in, in my town of Milford and there was a senior you know, complex. And you can no longer have senior housing in America. It has to be senior slash disabled. And disabled can mean, you know, a, a very t sad situation, say a, 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 a 40 year old woman who gets multiple sclerosis, right? That could be a, and, and deserves to be cared for somehow. But it could also be a 27 year old drug addict and drug dealer who's disabled because of the, the drug addiction. This we it's just ridiculous, uh, and and that's part of the you know the growth of the victim industry in America, and how we care for. The, I think it's this reflection that you know it's 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 outlined in Aristotle and it's charactered in Aristophanes and it's in Cicero. But the problem with constitutional systems and democracies in particular is that you have the people voting for their own social services. And so the politicians know that no politician ever got elected by saying, we don't have enough money for this program. So we're either going to have to cut the program or raise taxes. They all got George W. Bush. One of the ways he tried to avoid dropping down into the twenties was remember the prescription drug he added to, he added to the Medicare right. package. Right. And then he went into, you know, no child left behind and all of that stuff. And the idea was to lard it up and give more stuff to more people. And then that would make people feel, but nobody wants to offend the electorate and the electorate always, and their attitude is even more ambiguous. It's sort of like, we don't, we want more stuff and we don't want to pay for it. But we know that if you lit stupid enough to listen to us, we'll all go broke. So we don't want you to listen to us, but we want to yell and scream at you. So. It's very ambiguous because people yeah. are not stupid. They know that something has to be done. And I, I don't well, know. Well, the, let me ask. Gonna, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, well, I was going to ask. about our country is that we don't go after to the same degree the ultra rich as we do the upper upper middle class, the people making between two and six hundred thousand. Right. We don't go after the. We go after them. They're the bread and butter tax target. We don't go after some of the big guys that. That, you know, because even Trump, you know, he he had all these losses, but he didn't pay income tax. 
for some years, and he could have paid a minimum tax because his lifestyle was still very opulent. And I'm not criticizing him, just if you have a very opulent style and you go, your portfolio shows you went from 1.4 billion to 1.3 billion, you still should pay 25%, I think, on the, the money. Yeah. If everybody they, else is. Yeah. Or the most liberal, most uber rich are lefties and they take their money and put it into foundations that they used to fund political causes, essentially political causes. Hey, Victor, I was going to ask you a French question, though, and I, I didn't talk to you about this ahead of time, but just now I'm curious since we're talking about France. And I'm, I'm so you, the histor military historian and you who also have done any number of of your annual uh, trips abroad. Uh, and I know next year you're doing a a French uh, Normandy uh, uh, trip with about you know, 100, 100 or so people. But outside of Normandy, what is the most interesting military site in in France for somebody who's I, I want to go I want to go see some World War One battlefield sites, etc. Is, is there anything beyond after Normandy that's particularly striking to you? Verdun, for example. I, I, yeah, Verdun. I think everybody should see Verdun. It's kind of scary or eerie, especially the ossuary where there's all of this. Uh, skeletal remains of the unknown piled up there. It's immaculately kept. And um, I think if you could include a, a little sidetrack across the border to Brussels, right outside the city, there's Waterloo. And you can really, if you go there, you can really get a, a good sense of the Battle of Waterloo. It's pretty moving. If you go to the Ardennes, up near the, the uh, Belgian border, you can really um, get a good idea of St. Mary Eglise and the Battle of the Bulge. And then you can also see where the Germans came in in 19, earlier, not just 1944 in mid-December, but in uh, 1940 in May. And then, you know, there's a lot of, uh, they're not quite as impressive as the American uh, cemetery at Normandy, but we have, I was on the Mer American Battlefield Monuments Commission, and we have the American um, cemeteries in, in Belgium are, are really impressive. I mean, it's eerie, but there's, especially at the, and there's one um, at St. Avold, I think it is, the Lorraine um, military. And then there's one, I think everybody could go to the Moose Argonne Cemetery. Of World War One, the World War One are, are on. If you look at the data, I remember from the commission, it's sad that the World War One cemeteries, which were really the impetus for the American Battle Monuments, they're not as uh, well traveled. The Saving Private Ryan changed the entire dynamic, and Normandy now is one of the biggest tourist spots in um, in France. But um, you know, it's it's. The, those American uh, military cemeteries, you can go to the American Battlefield Monuments website and get a list of them in Belgium and France. And they're not very hard to get. One of them is kind of hard to, but most of them are, are pretty easily accessible. So I would go to Verdun, go to Waterloo and Brussels, go up to the Ardennes and see uh, Bastogne, for example. And um, some of the okay. things... 
Yeah, you can go to, I mean, Normandy, you can, it's not just Normandy, there's 50 miles of beaches. You can go to Sword, Utah, Juneau Beach, right, and Utah Beach as well, the other four beaches, and see one of the mulberries. And so it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, someday, uh, if you ever extend these trips out beyond 2024, I may, I may uh, cash in, cash in a few policies and go on one. So, Victor, let's uh, move on. An interesting, strange, weird topic, of course, has to do with cancel culture. And this is a headline from uh, The Spectator magazine, not to be confused with The American Spectator. And it it's titled, The National Audubon Society Considers Canceling Itself. And this, in a nutshell, you know, John uh, Jacob, is that his name? John Jacob Audubon? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, was... I think it's, is it John Jacob Astor or John Jacob? Oh, John Audubon. Jacob Astor, I know. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's just say Audubon. Uh, you know, a man of his times, which is he owned slaves. He was no great advocate of uh, emancipation. I think there's actually some writings by him there that he was against emancipation of slaves um, and that he he was there's a line and he was a plagiarist and a fabulist. Yet one of the more beloved nonprofits, environmental groups for ages is the Audubon Society, right? And where I live in Milford, we have an Audubon Center at the at the where the Long Island Sound and the Housatonic River meet, bird sanctuaries, places for looking at birds. Of course, you know, Audubon's artwork is just uh, uh, has been very important to our our to science and I think also to to art. So growing up, Audubon, oh yeah, he was the artist. He was well, um his slave owning reputation has caught up with him and the and the Audubon Society itself considered it did not do this, but it had considered changing its name uh to cancel the name what it's its name for. There's still um board members who are who are uh trying to promote that. So Victor, I don't know that there's much to say except, you know, shrugging your shaking your head, but then say this is not unexpected. But do you do you have any thoughts on this? But you're a man who's written a lot about birds, by the way. Any thoughts about <laughs> this uh, idiocy? Well, it's part of that same. It's that same self-centered self-absorption where you wake up one day and you say to yourself, Hmm, I haven't done much in my life, but let me go back through history and find out people who did. And I'm not going to have a ledger on the left and right pluses and minus. I'm just going to look at the right side, the minus. And then when I find a minus, I'm going to get some publicity and cancel them out without any awareness of what people might say of my generation. And so that's what they're doing. And they feel that this is sort of like the transgendered movement. It's a fad that you go back and you try to virtue signal performance art your way into attention by saying, I am so virtuous that this man who lived and was very active in the 1820s, 30s, 40s, like he died in somewhere around 1850 something. Uh, I am so morally superior to him. Now, I couldn't go out on my own without a down sleeping bag and a, a sophisticated tent and camp out like he did. And I couldn't 
draw like he could and I couldn't I wouldn't devote my life to that what he did but I can sure tell you that right now I have no desire to be involved in chattel slavery the way he did supposedly and that's the attitude and then you say to them you say to these people and I've said, I've asked people politely that have this these views so what are the people going to say about you in 150 years that you supported a million abortions, seven or eight thousand of them that were outside the womb, and uh, you extinguish a human life in the birth canal. Is that what they're? And what are they going to say about that? Or you have six hundred thousand people defecating, injecting, fornicating, urinating on your streets of your cities. Or are they going to? What are you going to say about that? Or you know you. You engaged in gain-of-function viral research where you took lethal viruses and the sole purpose was to make them more infectious and lethal, and you subsidized that and it killed a million people? What are you going to say about that? So it's all based on the, 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 the supposition that the accuser would never be accused. And, you know, that's where we are. And the, the weird thing about it is that it's all under the pretense that we have greater morality. Maybe we do in the cosmic sense, but I can guarantee you, Jack, if I go to Home Depot, which I have gone to a lot, and I have lost my wallet on one occasion, get this. I went and I had a big tree and I had a cart, two carts with trees in them, and I put my wallet on the counter and I went back five steps and I turned around and it was gone. There was nobody there. It was gone. And I asked the checker, and she said, I don't know. I don't know. Never saw it. Why don't you go look in Boston Found? I said, it was just here. And I looked around the scan. There were three people. I said, is that it? Did you see my wallet? No, no, no. Okay. So anyway, five minutes later, I go to wall, and it's there. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's on the other side of the store. Well, guess what? It has my license and my drivers and my credit card, zilch. Everything else, one credit card, all the other credit card, everything else is stolen. Oh my, my point gosh. about all this is if I had gone to the Selma hardware store, 1962 in Selma, and I dropped my wallet on the counter, that would not have happened. And I can tell you that I have lost my wallet in my town one other time, and I got about five calls from people uh, that turned it in a, a family and then another family found it and they turned it in and I got called. But I don't, my point is that we are so cosmically moral, but on a personal level, we're amoral. And as far as crime or the responsibility to turn in things that are lost, it's now, Hey, he's a sucker. I need this more than he does or something like that. Yeah. Or I can tell you that I first flew in an airplane I was 18 years old and like an idiot. I took the Yale intensive Greek program. I wanted to be a Columbia classics major, but I didn't know that to the end of my first year. The professor said, go to Yale. They have all summer long. And it was all graduate students in their late 20s taking Greek. So it was very difficult. But my point is this. I flew in a plane. I'd never been in one. I can remember it to this day. It was a United airline. It was beautiful. It was clean. The food, I was in economy. They gave nice food. And today, 
we're such a more, such a more moral, sophisticated society. When I go on a plane, it's just people look like they're they're dressed at a Halloween party. I mean, it's just. <laughs> and I go to the use the restroom, and the person that is then there before me doesn't clean up their mess. So there's yeah. tissues on the ground, or the 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 sink is full of soapy water. I look at the yeah. toilet seat, and it's dirty, or they haven't fully flushed. Yeah, the slobification of America is really yeah. a, a, it's, it's it is. It's really troubling scary. thing. Well, it's Victor. Scary. Um, so my point is that I I think before we go after Mr. Autobahn, we could do a lot better in our own lives. Yeah. Well, let me stay on some canceling issue here, and then we'll talk about uh, something that's happened in Massachusetts. And then there's a very interesting story, too, that we can uh, conclude a program with about ChatGPT and how it really can be uh dangerous i mean the 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 jury's not out on artificial intelligence but there's some signs of nefarious things that it's being used for already but on the massachusetts story this has to do with um the town of east hampton and the headline is east hampton rescinds superintendent job offer over use of the word ladies our last podcast, Victor, I, I thought we would, might get to this, and I, I made a joke at the beginning of that podcast. Not a joke, but I begin the podcast by saying, ladies and gentlemen, and I didn't know that was a bad word. So here's quick on the story. East Hampton is rallying around a superintendent finalist who said his offer to lead the city's public schools was rescinded after he referred to women as ladies in an email, an act some school committee members reportedly viewed as a microaggression. Dr. Vito Peroni said the school committee rescinded its offer in an executive session last Thursday, about a week after it had voted four to three to hire him. According to the Daily Hampshire Gazette, which first reported the story, the decision hinged on Peroni's use of, quote, ladies, end quote, in an email sent to committee chairperson Cynthia Kwiasinski over contract negotiations, he told the newspaper. Kwiasinski did not immediately respond, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, later on, so she said, this was a microaggression to use the word ladies, and we can't have a personal. This is, you got to be effing kidding me. This is yeah. a fiddling American, Jack. This is fiddling America. So you say ladies. And you're out of a job when a Chinese balloon went right across the United States and surveilled all of our strategic bases in the Midwest. You say that you're very worried about the use of ladies when the person who lodged that complaint would not walk downtown in Chicago or Baltimore or Washington or New York when it got dark. You say ladies is a central issue that we have to fire this man because it's a microaggression. When you know that any speaker that is not ultra left cannot deliver a lecture at a major university, the more elite and Tony, the less likely that will be nonviolent. So it, and then when you look at abroad, the American dollar is just about ready to be junked as the world's currency. We've created these alliances where Saudi Arabia suddenly and Turkey and Iran are all more friendly to one another than they are to us. We're supposed to get upset that a person says ladies. And I, I don't know. It's, 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 we're, we're Neronian, you know, 
if that myth is true, that he fiddled why Rome burned, but we are doing something that's just absolutely crazy. We have the long priorities and emphases, and we got to snap out of it. And we're just, I guess it was brought along by global affluence in the early 21st century. And we've just convinced ourselves that, hey, we're Americans. We're the best. We don't have to do anything. I know we're racist and we're transphobic and we're nativist and we're protectionist, but we're still the best. We have the best popular culture, the best music, best sports. We just get to get all the stuff and have a great life. And we're all going to die in our sleep at 90 with our best health care. No, this is this country is a very fragile, volatile experiment in history. It's a multiracial country that is trying to follow the core ideals of the Constitution, the Declaration, and no other country has been able to pull it off. A multiracial constitutional democracy dash republic. And we think we can do it, but to do it requires no, there's no margin of error. It requires constant civic reinvestment and education, and we're not doing it. We just want, and then we're thinking, well, I'm going to, I'm going to make a name for myself because we're going to fire a guy because he didn't say ladies. Half the people in college can't read. Quarter of them are using artificial intelligence to use their paper. But that is a central point because I can handle that. That is a misdemeanor that I can do something about, but I can't do anything about the felonies. I have a whole freshman class entering college that are illiterate because they didn't learn a damn thing K through 12. But I can't touch that because I have no idea what to do. But ladies or transgendered rest, I can address that. And that's what we have. You know, this this uh, ab abuse of language, and it is that, is anyone who's read Orwell, 1984, War is Peace, et cetera, is this is, this is a, a main uh, a weapon of, of the left. And uh, changed pronouns, uh, as you saw, it, it's... it's Stanford University that an IT department. What words, what terms can't be used anymore? You can't be an owner of a basketball team. You can't get get a master's because these things are all racially loaded or or races backfilled into it. And it's it's just a typical frickin' Marxist tactic uh, to to pollute the language, use of language, keep people off balance and uh, change the dynamics of civilization. So, yeah, it is. It's as old as they come. I mean, in Russia, when you want to cancel somebody or. You just Trotskyize him, you just said he was a Trotskyite and you cut his picture out of every paper there was and he didn't exist anymore. Or you change, as you said, the language that was Orwell was talking about. And uh, that's where we are now. And yeah. language doesn't mean anything anymore. The words don't mean anything. What is I don't know what racism is. I don't know what transphobia means. I don't know what homophobia means. I don't know. There are no counterparts for those words. I know that when Joy Reid gets on TV every night and says things that are oh, just abjectly racist, there's not a word for that. Because if you say she's racist, they say they can't use that word against a, a protected, marginalized member of a community. So you can't do that. But it's... I think everybody understands what's going on, and I don't. I think everybody's going to have to 
ignored. Is there any signs they are? I used to get memos, Jack, from administrators. Uh, I've noticed that at the bottom of they don't go he, sh he, him, or they, there. You know what I mean? There's you just you right. get letters with the identification of pronouns. I, I, I don't. I used to <laughs> at Stanford, but I've noticed some administrators have dropped that. Yeah, if I see someone on LinkedIn wants to, you know, connect through LinkedIn and they even get into that, I'm like, no, no way. I don't even I don't care if you he him. Why yeah, do you I even go down that route? It's, it's crazy. Again, it's it's just pet rock fast. Yeah. That's all it is. And it's it's just a distraction from. I mean, I was thinking today, I'm going to write it as soon as we hang up, I'm going to write a call. I just thought today we have completely destroyed the Abrams Accords in the Middle East. Joe Biden hated that. He hated the idea, as did Obama, that the moderate Sunni kingdoms would have more in common with Israel than the Hamas, Hezbollah, Assad, Iranian axis. And he recreated that axis. And now they've got Turkey in on it and they've got Russia in on it. And it's a disaster. And there's all, and the reason is that you can see what's happening. Once the Israeli left emulated the anti-Trump mania in the United States, and they went after Netanyahu, the radical Arabs said to themselves, hmm, Netanyahu has got more protesters of his own, so we can get in on this. And then more importantly, all the Arabs that are Sunni and Shia are now given up on the United States, so we don't have to worry about that. They're joining. So let's go out and kill some Jews. And that's what's happened. And that's going to continue. It's going to get really bad. And Israel knows that if they call up the Biden administration because they don't have the interest of Israel as opposed to left-wing Israel because they're leftists, they're not going to get anything. They're not going to answer his calls. They're not going to invite him to the White House, even though he's the popular re-elected leader of Israel. So it's, it's, I don't know, we could do this for all day long, look at these topics, transgenderism racial obsessions, foreign policy, Afghanistan, that all has a common denominator. And that is this left has everything they touch, they destroy. And it leaves the question that you and I've talked about for the last year. Is it by intent? Uh, or is it just incompetence? Or is it a desire for chaos to, to bring the system down? You have to destroy everything on the presupposition that the wealthy people like Soros and the people who are doing this understand they'll, they can survive the ramifications and the consequences of their bankrupt ideologies. Victor, I've used the word chaos a lot in this show, the previous one. Is chaos something that came out of pain? What's that? Is is chaos something that came out of Pandora's box or does have some other distinction in in Greek, chaos. Uh, is, there's a god, chaos. It's just the void, and it's used later in philosophical treatises oh. as, as the gap or the, the okay. void. And out of that, it's it's kind of a nothingness that can't be described, and chaos, in the sense of uh, a mess or trouble. I think in a later uh, mythological account of Pandora, chaos is mentioned. But I'm not sure. It's mostly diseases. You know, it's more it's more uh, mythological before the last thing that jumps out is help, peace, help, hope, excuse me. And it's it's you usually don't see 
chaos in mythology, and unless you're talking about the Olympians and then their parents, the Titans, and chaos is the nothingness that existed before there was a a world. You know what I mean? Before the cosmos, it's always cosmos first, and then chaos came okay. before. Is there was it's a nothingness, and I think. Christianity picked that up too. I think they use the early Christian fathers use chaos as to explain the world. But God made the world the period before God made the world. What was yes, that? Yes, I I actually know this word called tohu wabohu. I don't know. Why I remember that from my freshman religion class in high school. But yeah, it was it was the nothingness. But we yeah. the sense of chaos to me is like bedlam. But maybe that's not its real. It's, as you just explained, not it's real. I think it's because it was nothingness. So when you get chaos, you're into nothingness, a recreation of nothingness. It's okay. always Gaia, Earth, and then chaos came before Earth. It's kind of a philosophical trope to explain something like, okay, there's a wall was the end. Well, what's on the other side of the wall? Well, there's something on the other, another wall. Then what's on the other side? of the, You have to come up right. with a construct that stops that debate and yeah. says, I don't have to explain anything. There was chaos. Get it? It was always there. And then civilization or man came. And that's the what? idea. And so what? chaos in the sense that you're using it is a reversion to pre-civilized behavior. Okay. Why is hope in Pandora's box? Now, I would think when Pandora's box, and I, I must say I've never re read directly. It's open, bad things happen, right? Yes. Why is, why is hope part of the bad things that happened or am I, am I misconstruing that well the word pandora means all gifts right and uh so all the bad things come out which are unleashed that pandora stupidly opens but because it's in the works in days of hesiod but because there's you know there's all these diseases and illnesses and types of death and uh, actually, I think it's there's a lot of words, whether it's a box or not. People talked about it as a jar, as I remember. But you have to have something to hang on to that comes out. So and that's in Greek mythology, you always sort of try to reify or make real something that's commonly known or exists on its own. Give it a word. So why is it that when you get sick or your mother gets sick? Or you always say they're going to get well, or you always hope that. And that manifestation of the human mind of hoping against hope, that is a gift that the gods gave that kind of says, okay, okay. the world is going to be tragic. It's short, ephemeral, another good Greek word. But uh, there's always going to be one good thing, and it's going to be at the bottom. And it's expectation is a better word in Greek. Um, and maybe the expectation of something that can happen. Sometimes it's bad, but often it's good. And uh, okay. sometimes, sometimes a lot of people, I'm just going by memory now back yeah. to when I read the works and days and I taught it and I read the scholarship about it, it was that there was a, I think Nietzsche said, I don't know who, maybe it was him, that the hope was one of the evils because of false hope, you know. Delusion. It was defined as delusion. Empty hope. Right. That's, that's what the intent was, that man is 
tragic and it's terrible. And one of the last things that comes out is a false hope. But okay. I don't know, you, you have to, as someone who's had close people in my family die way before their time, you, their natural inclination is when you're confronted with the data from the doctor, whether it was my mom with an early brain tumor or my daughter with leukemia, you don't want to accept that. Right. You want to think there's still people you, if somebody says there's a 5% chance this person will be surviving six months, you say, well, there's 5%. Right. Or if somebody says your mother has a meningioma, the good news, because it's encapsulated bad news, it's, it's cancerous and malignant. And then you say, well, what does that mean? Well, 10%, can cure it, but it'll come back. You think, well, that's 10%. And I think Nietzsche said that was a curse when he interpreted, uh, you know, when he interpreted Greek mythology. But I don't think that was intended. I think it was supposed to be that what keeps us going, that you have to have yeah. some, you have to believe that this whole woke thing is going to end. Right. And that's I hope. Going. <laughs> yeah. And I, I can tell you that you ask Sammy, and if I, I have someone that catalog, you know, catalogs my emails and stuff, a couple hundred a day some days, that I and my assistant get, that's the biggest theme of all of them. Dear Professor Hansen, we listened to your podcast, we saw you on Fox, or we read your column, and we agree, but why are you so bleak? There has to be, I have to have something to hope for. It has to be better. And so it got to the point where Sammy um, is introduced. Okay, we're going to have five minutes to start out of good news. I heard, yes. <laughs> so that, that's, that's called yeah. el, el peace. It's from the verb el piso in Greek. Yeah. Well, you know, also in, 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 uh, in uh, uh, the catechism, despair is a sin and i i guess hope is the is the flip side i'm i'm guilty of it i'm not a depressed person i'm very upbeat but people have called me eeyore yes i I, I, always have a dark cloud over you and it's all you you know (laughs) you've done you you gave you wrote a good paper and somebody said it was good well i could have done better victor you won the powerball yeah Yeah. but 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 my tree (laughs) the tree died yes that's that's eeyore yeah, I get it. Hey, uh, Victor, we have time for one more uh, topic, and that's, I wonder what, uh, the just aforementioned George Orwell would think about artificial intelligence, and we'll look at it through this, um, through this really troubling um, situation uh, concerning uh, Jonathan Turley, who many folks know from, from Fox News and other, other things. But we'll get to that, your thoughts on it right after this final important message. <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Just a quick plug for what I do at Civil Thoughts, which is a free weekly email newsletter I write, comes out every Friday. I do that for the Center for Civil Society at Amphil, where we are trying to strengthen civil society. And I give a dozen plus recommended readings, great articles I've come across in the previous week. Here's a link. Here's an excerpt. I think you'll like it. A lot of lot of our listeners have signed up for it. They do like it. There's nothing transactional. It's nothing. We're not asking for money. We're not selling your name. So Go to civilthoughts.com and sign up, and I do believe you will enjoy it. So, Victor, let me just uh, uh, do what annoys so many of our listeners and read a little something. But Jonathan Turley tweeted um, the other day, and he's a law professor at uh, George Washington University, and he's gives a lot of commentary about what's happening with the Donald Trump uh, situation uh, uh, Trump being uh, uh, charged with with crimes in New York. He's on Fox a lot. He writes for the New York Post a lot. Here's what he, he tweeted. He said, yesterday, President Joe Biden <laughs> declared that it remains to be seen whether artificial intelligence is dangerous. I would beg to differ. Now, here's the headline, if you bear with me briefly, at, at, at um, the Daily Mail. And it's it says chat GPT falsely accuses a law professor, and that's Turley, of a sex attack against students during a trip to Alaska that never happened in shocking case that raises concerns about AI defaming people. Now, um, it this now I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop reading this. That's I'll just read the headline. But an incident took place. It didn't take place on a trip that didn't take place. And the artificial intelligence article that wrote about this quoted a Washington Post story, which didn't exist. And this is the potential of of AI to create havoc. And can you see this in the hands of people? I want to destroy the career of that that son of a bitch conservative, etc. Yes, and- we, we talked a little bit with Sammy about that. One of my fears, or actually maybe it was with Megyn Kelly or someone like that, I was asked, are you afraid of artificial intelligence? And I said, it goes beyond the technological uh, predator uh, type of, you know, Terminator type of science fiction. Terminator, I guess, is the better idea that you're going to have a robotic world that takes over mankind. It's the people who create it, who are drawn to it, who do the type of research that facilitates it. It's kind of like analogous to the gain of function virology. Who who does that? It's a particular subset of virologist researchers who either are megalomaniacs that think they're going to alter nature or they don't care about humankind because they're engaging in a type of research which is Mr. Redfield, the former head of the CDC, when asked if there is any positive that have come out of gain of function that would justify the risk, he said no. Well, the same thing about artificial intelligence. The people who are engaged in that are either completely oblivious to the human consequences or 
they're hard left. They're of a particular subset of a particular culture that gives us Google altered searches or gives us uh, banning on the original Twitter or gives us the Facebook stuff. In other words, you look at Apple, Facebook, Twitter, all of those big companies are hard left. They're hard left in a sense that they use their enormous profits to, as Mark Zuckerberg did, give $419 million to warp the vote in pre-selected precincts, or they pursue a type of ideology within their business, whether that is suppressing the laptop information or working with the FBI to suppress news or altering the order of Google searches to reflect a left-wing perspective. Well, those are the custodians of artificial intelligence, and it would be naive to believe that that ideology wouldn't effect. And that's why probably you you have Jonathan Turley being the object of an artificial intelligence. Uh, I guess, what would be the word? Scam? Fraud? Construct? I don't know. Completely made up, but you wouldn't have, say, Paul Krugman. And I'll stand corrected if somebody said, well, actually, they do. Yeah. But we'll see. And so that's what's scary is it's not just anti-human, but it, it is um, left-wing <laughs> anti-human, right? Yeah, and I know that. I can tell you what artificial... Abused, yeah, I, I get maybe one or two letters a month, and they'll say things like, you only had one daughter. You said you had three, because they'll find a, an obituary for my daughter passed away, and they'll, they'll just create it out, or they'll look at... There's you know, minor people, they'll say this person's worth this amount of money, right? And they'll they'll name some fantastic amount of money that I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't ever have in my entire life. Or they'll mention that I played in a band, right? And I think what those are, and I have somebody about every year to go through a uh, Wikipedia just to get, not the ideology, I mean, I expect to be attacked from the right and be smeared, but my God, they all have things that I was a band member in junior high school. I don't, I couldn't play an instrument if you asked me. <laughs> Not even the tambourines? No, I have no <laughs> musical talent whatsoever. I'm completely inept. And they'll, they'll even give the name. And I, I have to assume that that's just some artificial intelligence that, that took off on it. Yeah. And, uh, it's just, it, it's just, and then, you know, you talk to people who are teaching and it's getting to 10 to 20 percent of the papers are artificial intelligence. And then they have anti-artificial intelligence, what, detectors? And then they have anti-detectors of artificial intelligence. So the student can not only t have push buttons with themes and then the, right. the paper will be written, but then they'll have another program they can superimpose on it says how do you disguise this to get by the professor's detector oh. change the vocabulary so it's like the matrix you, yeah. yes and you think <laughs> at some point 18 year old college bound student who's supposedly in college because they want to widen their horizons but say you know what the amount of time to write an artificial intelligence paper and then get a detector to shield me from the detector of the professor and maybe the anti-detector, anti-detector, detector, it would be just easier to write the paper. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or give oral exams from now on. So that would, uh, that might, that might, uh, not from the teacher's perspective. So, well, anyway, Victor, it's, uh, it's not a head scratcher. It's to me, it's, it's very troubling. It's a, it's a weapon. People use the word weaponized. Well, it's so easily weaponized, already has been. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who will not get into this school or will have lost that job, et cetera, because people who have it out for them are concocting BS that's that looks pretty real when it's not. Victor, yeah. we've come to the come to, to about the end of, of our program today, and we will do the things we do at the end of the program. I forgot to do this uh, earlier and on the last podcast. I just would like to let folks know that the the home, the happy home for this podcast is John Solomon's uh, JustTheNews.com. Why don't you check it out? John's John does a uh, he's a great reporter and lots of stories are broken there by him. Uh, no matter what platform you listen on, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple, we those places where you can, well, we thank you no matter where, but those places where you can leave comments and ratings, we uh, appreciate and we read the comments. You can do that on Apple and iTunes. You can leave zero to five stars. Victor has a nearly five star average uh, for, uh, uh, for this podcast. Uh, a couple of comments here, Victor. Just like to read two of them. One is one is from um, Wilsa three, and it says a quick note to thank you, Victor, for your podcast. A couple of podcasts ago, by the way, we we were talking about the decline of certain cities in Detroit came up, and this prompted this. I look forward to hearing your perspective each week. When you began this podcast, you started out talking about Detroit and other cities. I grew up in. In Detroit in the in the fifties, it was a great city. Detroit public school children got to go uh, listen to classical symphonies. Art was everywhere. School was great back then. I got into Vanderbilt and UCD graduate school. Thanks again for all your great shows. And that's from Sandra uh, Williams. Yeah, we were talking about, about Detroit a lot at that point. You know, it was the yeah. powerhouse of World War II. I mean, it was the place where all military vehicles were built, and then in a world that was destroyed after World War II, it supplied the world with everything from caterpillars to pickup trucks. And its GDP was, I think, higher than any other city in the United States. As I yeah. said with Sammy, uh, man is much, I mean, man is much more dangerous than nuclear weapons because Hiroshima today uh, looks like Detroit did in 1945, and Detroit today looks like Hiroshima did in 1945. So it's very yeah. Well, great society was deadlier than the nuclear uh, nuclear bomb. Yeah, and it was, we've talked, as you've written, uh, how quickly these this can all uh, go to in a in a heartbeat. And uh, D- Detroit had been voted. Well, came in second place to host the 1968 Olympics, which I think is a vote probably taken in 1962 by whatever association approves. So this was the, you know, lost out to hosting the Olympics. So that shows how great a city it was. And by 1969, 1970, it was it was. Well, I can't use the word. Well, that said, we did, we did talk about one other thing on on a recent podcast. You talked about um, a, losing a significant amount of friendships uh, in this age of 
Trump derangement syndrome and the like. And this is a, a comment left by Kamachka62 called Taking Sides. I've experienced the same hatred from a colleague at one of my jobs. I thought we were friends for years. Then once he was overcome with TDS, Trump derangement syndrome, he couldn't be around me without spewing his ideologies coming from the left. I avoided being in the same areas and just had to stop communicating at all. Victor, I think that's something everyone listening to this podcast yeah, has experienced in spades. Somebody so. wrote me about that, a very learned letter, and said, you mentioned that, and you hadn't said anything, to my knowledge, that would invite such ostracism. Like, I was thinking, I'm going to write him back, but I don't think it matters what you've said, what you've done. It's what they think you are. So, right. Right. In my case, I just picked out the, the random number 16, but I was talking to my wife the other day about all the close friends that we've had from all walks of life that have either, if you call, if I were to, I mean, I'm talking about best friends, a circle of 20, say, family and friends. Right. If I were to call them, if I hang up right now after this and I call them, if they will not answer the phone or they will hang up on the sign of my voice, or they will be snarky, about, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's just the way it is. And I I would never do that. I mean, I have people call me all the time that I disagree politically with, and I don't, I don't have any problem with it at all. I see former students that I tutored, that I mentored, that... I tried to help them with their career paths, even on into their 30s and 40s. And I don't, they're very left wing now. And I never, I never ostracize them. Yeah. I Victor, don't. if you ever need anything, you call me. You know, I'll pack I up will. the phone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it's, 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 uh, it's a great honor to, to host this uh, show and to be a friend of yours and to listen to the wisdom you, so copiously dish out every every week. And by the way, oh, I, I have to say to folks who have not yet listened to Victor's interview of podcast from about a week or so ago, record with Stephen Quay, you have to go back and find it and listen to it. It is uh, truly, truly important about uh, uh, what's gone on with COVID, what's still going on. Yeah, you should listen to him. He's, he's, he yeah. has a very polite, understated way of of. Oh, matter yeah. of factly saying something that's terrifying, yeah. terrifying, accurately with data to support it, but terrifying what's going on in the Wuhan lab and it's America's aiders and abettors. So, yeah, everybody's very important here. stuff. And he will be he also find the first you interviewed him once before yes, in and he's, August of last year. I did. Yeah. yeah. So, folks, go go, go to VictorHanson.com and that's Stephen Quay, Q-U-A-Y. Great uh, scientist. Hey, Victor, thank you very much. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. God bless all. And we will be back soon with another episode of The Victor Davis Hansen Show. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening. 